So Matt Damon has a new movie out right now. You guys might have seen the previews called The Martian. I am really, really looking forward to seeing it when Hewan lets me, of course. I, uh, I really, I read the book a few weeks ago. I, I just, I liked it in ways I didn't anticipate. The premise is simple yet frightening. So while on a mission to Mars, several astronauts get caught in this really bad storm. I don't kind of storm. As I said, I'm not a scientist. Some kind of dust storm, something. One of them gets knocked away and is left for dead by the crew of the mission who take off to avoid the storm, as is their protocol. Unfortunately for all involved, the man is still alive, and the story is about his struggle for survival as the only living creature on a desolate and unforgiving planet. And while it is a captivating tale because you want the astronaut to survive, it is also great because of how he uses science in order to do so. He actually says the words, and I'm paraphrasing for language, in order to survive, I've got to science the heck out of this place. I thought the book would be depressing, and instead it was a lot of fun despite the man's circumstances. You can't help but root for him and learn something in the process. But what the book does not address is the loneliness the man must have felt internally. It is difficult enough for us to feel lonely on this planet. Try being the only isolated person on another inhospitable planet. Or even consider Adam in the Genesis text today before he meets Eve. He's not dying on Mars, he is living the life on Earth. He gets the best fruit, he gets the cleanest water. He gets to hang out with the coolest animals. The air has not been polluted by toxins. There are no diseases to plague him, not even the most common of colds. It's paradise. And yet, what does God say about Adam in this beautiful world that was created? Hooray, mission accomplished, my work is done. No. God says that it is not good for Adam to be alone. And I think that's God's way of saying, in order for Adam to really feel alive, I've got to science the heck out of this place. To make it so, he calls out Eve from his side. Loneliness is a scary and sad thing. No one deserves to be alone, and no one should have to endure it. Yet loneliness is a reality for so many of us. Now I'm not talking about folks who haven't found that special someone yet, or who know better than to get married for just the sake of getting married. I'm talking about the self-isolation we sometimes feel when there is not someone to take care of us. I couldn't imagine being Adam, and I can't imagine being the astronaut on Mars. I also can't imagine my life without Sandra. And my heart breaks for those who yearn for a companion and do not have one. The Genesis text is indeed a beautiful text because it is God's response to loneliness. And it is my favorite marriage text by far, although I did enjoy preaching on the Song of Solomon at yesterday's wedding. Marriage is sanctified in the act of two lonely people embracing in love. 
And in any romantic relationship that involves commitment, there is a binding of the flesh, the two becoming one. For it is when you are in your lover's embrace, that is the closest one can physically feel towards the act of creation in humanity. People talk about the sanctity of marriage and should two people get married and this and that. It does not need to be more complicated than two people who feel called to embrace as one. Ah, but here come the Pharisees in the gospel trying to make it so. I've been trying very hard not to turn the Pharisees into straw men for the benefit of my sermon. So I'll go one step further. The Pharisees in this text are like many others in society who try to enforce a post-Genesis view of marriage. People think that marriage has one consistent theme in Scripture, but it does not. After the Garden of Eden, marriage will become a game of virginity and politics. Men seek to control the bodies of women for their own personal gain. Marriage is not for love, and that is very sad. Because I think the ancestors of the Pharisees, and by extension, the men preceding them, did a disservice in ruining God's most precious gift, making it not about love, but about politics, but about fertility, but about production. We talked last week about the barriers people put between God and others, and this week focuses on the barriers people put between two folks who are in love, and the desire to corrupt the institutions that God has made holy for our benefit. As I wrote in the Theology Thursday Miller, divorce in this text bears little resemblance to the divorce of today. Divorce in that time was entirely one-sided. Men could ditch women at a moment's notice for anyone else. That's what the Pharisees are hoping Jesus would say. There's nothing divine or sacred about that. It is true, as Jesus acknowledges, that women could divorce, but divorced women had no options. They were no longer virgins. They had no social or political status. They had no job possibilities. The deck is entirely stacked against them. We've seen this throughout our country. How many times has a woman stayed in an abusive relationship or an adulterous one with her husband because she has nowhere else to go? That is a residual effect of what the Pharisees are hoping for today. Jesus' institution of marriage is not political. It doesn't care about social status. It doesn't care about who benefits. It doesn't even care about fertility. Jesus' institution of marriage is simply two people who can reenact the Genesis moment of the two becoming one. It's two people who love each other for all the right reasons. It's not about control. It's not about power. And it's not about hierarchy. It really is as simple as love. And what God joins together, let no person separate indeed. For what God ordains is holy, and that holy institution cannot be corrupted by humanity, no matter how hard we try. And when it comes down to it, that's the same for any institution that God has created. The church is an imperfect instrument carrying out God's perfect word. We are human beings, and we will look to see power 
and advancement in the body of Christ, even when there is none to be had. Government was created by God, and it's supposed to be for the people, but come on. Does anyone in this room think that our government works the way it should? Throughout institutional corruption, there is always the love of Christ. And through his death and resurrection, we can understand that love amidst layers and layers of human sin. Because it is a love that prevails for us. And when we are lying in the embrace of our lover, or when we are receiving Holy Communion, or when we have the burden of sin lifted from us, we can actually feel what God's love is really about. <coughs> God sciences the heck out of creation with Adam and Eve. And the science of God is written in God's love for us. Do not let any institution come between you and God. For you are a forgiven, blessed child of God, bound to our Messiah in your baptism. And what God has brought together, no one can cast apart. Amen. Please rise as you are able.